0: This is the Intego Mac Podcast, The Voice of Mac Security, for Thursday, February 15th, 2024. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include: Why was Apple slow to remove a dangerous fake app copycat from the App Store? EU regulators change their tune on iMessage. Apple finally releases new media apps for Windows users. And the Vision Pro is shipping. We took an Apple Store test view. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist, Kirk McElhern, and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long.
1: Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing just fine. I'm looking at the show notes that you put in, and you're talking about something written in Rust. Isn't that a Neil Young song? <laughs> Rust is a programming language, and we have
2: started to see more malware written in Rust. Remember, we talked about Rust Bucket last year? Oh, right. Okay. Well, now we've got a new Rust based malware. This one is called Rust Door. Rust door is backdoor malware that's written in Rust. A backdoor is malware that gives a threat actor access to your computer so they can connect to it. They can send commands to it. They can tell it to exfiltrate your data or whatever it is they might want to use it for. Maybe they use it as part of a distributed denial of service attack as part of the botnet. But there's all sorts of things that backdoor malware can do. A lot of times it's just used to spy on you and, and steal your data and things like that. Do you need to worry about it?
1: What do you think, Kirk? What, what do we always answer? I think if you're running Intego Virus Barrier X9, then you absolutely don't need to worry about it because we have already updated the virus definitions.
2: Yeah, you're, you're safe if you're using Intego Virus Barrier, so no need to worry.
1: The one thing I want to point out is, yes, I remember Rust Bucket, but I don't remember Rust as a programming language. I don't think I've really heard of the – I'm not a developer, but I am aware of the names of programming languages. Is this something new? Is this popular for some reason?
2: Rust has been around since 2015. So it's not brand new, but it is starting to increase in popularity somewhat. Another one that we've seen a lot of malware start to get programmed in is Go, which has been around actually even longer. It started in 2009 – but both of these are languages that have been increasingly interesting to threat actors. They've started to experimenting with
1: more Mac malware written in Go and Rust. Is this because it's harder to detect them because they're unfamiliar programming languages? No, and it doesn't particularly
2: matter what language these apps are programmed in we'll still be able to detect them just as easily. Maybe it just has something to do with the, how comfortable certain developers are, developers of malware are (laughs) with particular languages. Maybe that's what they learned in school. Maybe that's what, you know, they read about online. Maybe it's just a matter of they found some samples of malware that happened to be
1: written in some of these other languages. And so they thought, oh, cool. I could adapt that and make my own malware based on that. Okay, so we have been hearing for years, Uh how safe the App Store is, the App Store for iOS and for Mac. And yet again, another fake app was found in the App Store. And this one's serious. This isn't just a random app. This is an app pretending to be a password manager.
2: That's right. So this was kind of a problem. We don't know exactly how long this had been in the App Store, but it was sometime between January 16th and February 4th. And on February 4th, there were a couple of people who had left negative reviews of this app, give it one star and said that this is not the real LastPass probably a scam to steal passwords, and a couple other people left similar warnings on February 6th. But it didn't start to get more mainstream notice until February 7th when LastPass wrote a blog post about this. And then it really blew up on February 8th, everybody, all the major tech press was writing about this and saying, there's a fake LastPass app in the App Store. So what really happened here? Well. It wasn't called last pass, it was called Lass Pass, L-A-S-S-P-A-S-S. It's so close to how LastPass password manager was spelled. And they even used an icon that was very similar, same exact color scheme. No, it doesn't look exactly like it, but it's so close that this should have been something really obvious to whoever reviewed this app and decided that, oh yeah, sure, no problem. Let's include this
1: in the app store. I want to give a little pushback on that. Really obvious when you've got, we don't know how they're trained. You've got these people. We don't know how they're trained. They're getting all these apps. They're not spending much time looking at them. They may not be experts in password managers and recognize the icon. It doesn't surprise me that this happens. I think it's worth pointing out that LastPass, the official LastPass, is an app that we don't recommend and recommend that people avoid actually because they had problems with data breaches which actually let hackers get into people's data vaults, so access their passwords. So. I don't know if the actual LastPass is any worse than this fake one, but I think the problem with reviewers is that there are just too many apps and they can't compare them, and they don't have the skills to look at these the way you and I would. You would think that there would be certain categories that they would have to check more carefully, right? Something that says it's a password manager, that should spark a, a, a more thorough review than normal apps. I doubt that's the case, but I don't know. Well, that's
2: exactly right. And I 100% agree with you on that point because if you're talking about a password manager, it has to be something that you know that you can trust. It's using good encryption. It's not. Exfiltrating your data. Like, we don't know what this fake LastPass app did, whether it was doing anything overtly malicious. I haven't seen any breakdown yet where somebody reverse engineered it and, you know, examined exactly what it did. But in any case, thankfully, it was taken off of the App Store on February 8th, later in the day, eventually, after everybody had written about this, Apple quietly pulled it down. So they did remove it, but it took a while. The reason why it might've been as early as January 16th, if you happen to download this on a Mac and look inside of the app binary, you'll find that, most of the modification dates are going to show January 16th. So that means that the app was compiled on that date. Now, when exactly it was submitted to the App Store and approved in the App Store, we don't know. Interestingly, you could also maybe consider this the first Apple Vision Pro malware because this app could also be run on the Vision Pro. Because it's an iPad app or because there is an iPad version of the app. Well, yeah. So it's it's an app that was designed for iOS and iPadOS. But because you can frequently run iPad apps on a Mac. You can also download it onto a Mac through the Mac App Store. And you can also download it onto a Vision Pro because, of course, you can download
1: many iPad and iPhone apps on the Vision Pro as well. Speaking of the Vision Pro, we're going to talk about that new hardware device in the second half of this podcast because Josh tried one out. But first, let's get back to Apple finally, officially splitting up iTunes into separate apps. And we talked about this, I believe it was last October, when Apple had made preview versions of some of these apps available on the Microsoft Store. Now there are final versions. So if you look at Apple's apps on the Microsoft Store, you have iTunes, and we'll discuss that in a minute why there is still an iTunes app. You have an iCloud app, you have Apple Music, Apple TV, and Apple devices. Music and TV, they do what you would expect. The Apple devices app is what you would use to sync an Apple device to your Windows computer. Most people don't sync anymore, everything's in the cloud, but you still need that possibility sync and backup, which you do in the Finder right now. Now, interestingly, they still have a version of iTunes, and Josh was a bit surprised to see that.
2: Yeah, like I understand maybe keeping it around for some period of time and eventually are gonna remove it. By the way, Kirk did try to install some of the new apps and they're not ARM compatible. So if you have a version of Windows for ARM running on your Mac in a virtual machine, you're not gonna be able to install the new apps. That's kind of odd, but I mean, you don't really need them anyway
1: because you're on a Mac and so you can use the Mac native apps. It's not just that. If you have an ARM-based PC, you can't use these new apps. I think 14% of PCs sold last year were ARM-based, and so the ARM-type processor is very popular on laptops because there's better battery life. So that means that Apple is not making these new apps available to every Windows user. Worth pointing out that certain types of apps can be emulated on an ARM processor, but not the way Apple made these apps. We won't go into too much detail because this isn't a Windows podcast, but it is interesting that Apple has finally gotten rid of iTunes or is finally getting ready to get rid of iTunes, or it's finally about to maybe get rid of iTunes. And we'll see it around for a little bit, but that's it. We've been talking about Apple's iMessage a lot recently, because if you remember, there was that app, I totally forgot its name already, that tried to get iMessage on Android phones, and it didn't work. And then they tried another... Beeper Mini. Beeper Mini. That's what it was. You see, we mentioned that name so many times, and we decided we would strike it from our memory because it was such (laughs) a disaster. Well... We talked about the Digital Markets Act in the European Union last week, and the Digital Markets Act determined the gatekeeper companies and which of their products they considered to be important enough to be regulated by this act. In other words, which ones a company had a dominant position in the marketplace in, and they chose a number of Apple things, such as app stores on iOS, et cetera, but they have determined that iMessage is not popular enough in the European Union to merit regulation. That's probably a good thing, at least for my opinion. Now, obviously
2: there are different points of view on this, but I've always been kind of, I've always felt like it didn't really make sense for iMessage to have to open up or to, have to, you know, somehow be cross compatible with Android apps and things. I, I didn't really make a lot of sense to me. And so I'm okay with this ruling. Uh, now, maybe there are people who will disagree with me. I know there are going to be people who will disagree with me on this point, but I don't feel like it makes sense that Apple should be forced to open up the iMessage protocol to third-party developers. As I've said before, there's a lot of functionality specific to iMessage that is specific to Apple platforms, like the ability to you know do Apple Pay and the uh, animations. You, know, you can send a message and have it do fireworks in the background or things things. things like that, that kind of experience, if you open that up to third-party developers, it's not going to be a great experience on the Android side of things, if some other developer is having to implement those things, or you might be missing that functionality. That's just not a good experience. If you're using iMessage,
1: it should be iMessage. That's my opinion. Okay. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Vision Pro and more.
0: Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users for over 25 years, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection. Net Barrier, powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal backup to keep your important files safe from ransomware and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Sonoma and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intigo.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users made by the Mac security experts.
1: Okay, before we get to the Vision Pro, we want to warn people who use Steam on a Mac and who have old games. We have an article on the Intego Mac Security blog entitled, How to Keep Using Steam Games on Mac OS Mojave After February 15, 2024. And you know what? If you're listening to this podcast on the day it's released, it is February 15, 2024. Steam has decided to not support Macs running Mac OS Mojave and High Sierra, and a lot of people do don't run them. Steam says only 2% of Macs using the Steam app run these operating systems, but you may have one of them for those old games that you want to play. And if you don't have copies of those games now, you should download them so you won't lose them because Steam will no longer be providing those games. I don't know if you can download games from developers and then use them in Steam. I don't know how that works. I know Steam is basically a wrapper around games. It's basically an app store, right? And you download the games and it's the games themselves that launch. So you you might be able to get some of them other than from Steam, but then you would have to buy them, I assume, because Steam is an app store. And the reason why you might
2: be still keeping an old Mac around to run some of these games that you got from the Steam store is that some of these older games are designed with 32-bit code. And that basically means that they're not going to run on more modern versions of macOS. And so some people have decided, okay, well, I'm going to keep an old Mac around as a gaming machine specifically to play my old games that won't run on my new Mac. And so if you are one of those people, just make sure that you've got Steam fully up to date, Make sure you've got those games downloaded and make sure that you launch them at least once, just to make sure that if there's any first-time setup things, that those are all taken care of for you, so that you can hopefully continue to play those games in the future. Now, you may not have online functionality in the future for some of those titles. In fact, some of them are probably so old at this point that they may not work at all if they required internet connectivity. But at the very least, take a look at your Steam library if you if you've ever bought any games or downloaded any free games through Steam and make sure that you can still play
1: them on your old Mac. OK, we said we would talk about Apple's Vision Pro. And we have an article on the Indigo Max Security blog explaining what the Vision Pro is, who is it for, and recounting Josh's experience at an Apple store trying it out. Let's talk about what the Vision Pro is first. A lot of our listeners may not be paying attention to all the videos of people driving their Teslas while they're wearing a Vision Pro and seeing you know, all the ridiculous uses of this. It's basically a VR goggle, and we discussed this a couple weeks ago, and you've got an Oculus, I think, and you can play games on it. You could buy five Oculus goggles for the cost of one Vision Pro. Is that it? Something like that? Something like that. They're called MetaQuest
2: now, but yes, it was called, I think, Oculus 2, I think is what I have. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's kind of like the difference between... A Datsun and a Ferrari in a way. Do they still make Datsuns? I'm thinking back in the old day, the Datsun was the prototype of a cheap car. It's a fancy device. It's expensive at $3,500. What it does is augmented reality and virtual reality. And Apple calls this spatial computing, which I don't know. You know, they, they came out with spatial audio as a term for what's more commonly called immersive audio now. Spatial computing is the idea that It's like Minority Report, kind of, but you move around and you see things in a virtual plane in front of you. We discussed this recently and it's, it, for me, it's really a solution in search of a problem. It's too new a device with too few really killer apps to make any sense. For now, it's basically running, well, it can run iPad apps, it can mirror the screen of your Mac, and there can be some sorts of native apps. And from what I've read, the watching a movie with the Vision Pro is quite impressive. You can have this really big, immersive screen. But it's a first-generation device. It's got a long way to go. And we sent Josh out on assignment to his local Apple store to try it out over the weekend. Why don't you tell us about your experience, Josh? You should have gone there with a microphone and recorded, or a GoPro, and you should have recorded the whole thing. Yeah, I'm
2: not sure if they would have let me do that. But in any case, I, I did try it out. So I signed up for the 30-minute demo and and went in to, to see exactly what this device was would do. And obviously I I kind of had some idea in in advance because, you know, they do have, there've been several videos that Apple has put out kind of showing what the experience is like and even instructing on how to use it. So you don't necessarily need to go and experience it in person to get a pretty good idea of most of the functionality. Now it's interesting that you mentioned that watching a movie is one of the really positive experiences as part of this 30 minute demo, they do have you try out the Mario movie in 3D and you you can, you know, expand the window as much as you want. Now there are ways that you can sort of put sort of a blackout curtain around you so that the movie is the only thing that you're able to see and that's probably the experience that you would want to have if you were for example on an airplane and just wanted to block everything else out and enjoy your movie in private, right? You could do that. The 3D experience is is okay. I mean, I, granted, I only tried it out for a few seconds because we had to move on to the next part of the demonstration, but it was all right. It wasn't quite as impressive as I hoped it would be. But I guess one nice thing that I can say about it is because you can expand the viewing window, you can have it go to kind of the ends of your peripheral vision. So it'll feel a little
1: bit more like you're actually there in the movie from at least that certain perspective. So one thing that I find a little bit disturbing is in all of the videos that I've seen, so you can record video on the device and a lot of people have done these reviews and you can find them on YouTube, all of the videos show people with these screens in front of them and their surroundings behind them. And a lot of the windows have translucent elements. And this seems to me really distracting. You know, one thing about working on my Mac is I've got a desktop background behind my windows, and I'm not seeing the stuff on my wall. I'm not seeing my cat walk by, or I'm not seeing the light come through the windows. It doesn't distract. And I find that a little disturbing. Now, you said you can put a background in. I think people are showing it with this, I want to say, augmented reality, which is the sense of you're seeing your actual surroundings with something on top of it. They're using this as as a demonstration to show that you're in a situation, right, instead of being blocked off. But it doesn't seem to me very productive. Now, Apple's touting this as a productivity device that you can work with apps. And did, did you try to type on that virtual keyboard, which is, you know, as someone who touch types, I can't imagine, like, typing on that keyboard in the air. That was not part of the demo,
2: and maybe there's a good reason for that.
1: <laughs> it's probably not a very good experience from what I've read. Apparently, you can connect a Bluetooth keyboard and trackpad, but not a Bluetooth mouse. So you can do typing, if you're a touch typer. But the whole process just seems kind of convoluted, like it's being more complicated than it should. Instead of simplifying computing, it's making it more complicated. So one of the things that you do to prepare for your visit, so your 30-minute demo is a lot of things. It's showing you the device, but it's also getting the device to fit you. How does this process begin? Okay, so first
2: of all, when you so uh, this is assuming that you're going to go through the demo at an official Apple store, right? So, um the first part of the process is you have to book your reservation and when you do that in your Apple Store app on your phone, You have to select whether you have any vision impairments, whether you use glasses, and then they ask you, do you use contacts? If you answer no to both like me, then there's no other part of that process, and then you just show up at your appointment. So the next thing is when you get to your appointment, they will have you scan a QR code on your phone that opens up in your Apple Store app, and then it gives you this thing where you've got to turn left and right and up and down, It's using the LiDAR that's built into your iPhone to look at your face. You know, it's the same technology they use for Face ID, right? It's looking at your face and and getting an idea for what
1: size light seal you need. Right. So as you said, it's the same technology at Face ID. It creates a 3D model of your face. It knows how far away the phone is from your face because it knows the amount of time it takes to read the lights or whatever. And there are lots of light seals. I thought there was like six or eight. And you said the Apple store employee said there were about a hundred of them. Now it kind of makes sense because people have different size heads and the curvature on the face is different. The size of your nose is different. It seems an overly fastidious process to have to have a hundred different light seals and how many of them, you look at a bell curve, half of them will probably never be used It seems like a lot of expense to try and get this device to fit, and maybe there are other ways to do it.
2: Yeah, and if you have multiple people in your family that you want to share this device with, well, you're going to need, uh, ideally, you would need a separate light seal for each one of them because you probably have a different shape, of face, you know, different facial structure. And so, yeah, you're not going to have a perfect experience if you're using somebody else's light seal necessarily.
1: Well, what was your experience like when you got the first light seal?
2: Yeah, so they brought it out based on, again, the mapping of my face, right? And it took a while for it to fully fit correctly. And I pointed this out a couple of times right at the beginning of of the demo. I'm like, well, you know, I'm still seeing this big gap right here on the underside where I'm getting a lot of light bleeding through. Like, it's a big gap. And so one of the other Apple employees who was kind of assisting the person giving me the demo said, try Moving the back of the headband down. Oh no, try moving it up. Okay, now try twisting that little side adjuster thingy on the on the right side. And so finally we got it so that it closed up, and now I didn't have those big giant gaps, but I still had a gap over my nose, and I pointed this out to the Apple Store employees, and they were like, "Oh yeah, that's normal." And I'm like, well, I, I've still got light bleeding through. That's normal." Like, you went to all this trouble. For $3,500, that's not normal. Yeah, that seemed weird, right? I mean, now, I know it's not It's not a lot of light bleed through, but the fact that it was distracting to me enough that, like, I had... I For
1: felt- $3,500, any light bleeding through is too much light bleeding through. It's simple. This is not a $500 game thing. the The thing is... We were talking about this before. If if you've ever had a crown of a tooth, they do a mold with a type of plastic that hardens really quickly. That's what they need to put on your face, something like that, to get the exact shape of your face. Either they're assuming that the LiDAR gets the exact shape, and maybe it does well enough, or they need to make custom light seals. Instead of fitting you with one of the hundred different ones, maybe they need a thousand different. I see an opportunity for third-party aftermarket light seals. (laughs) Yeah, custom white seals. But as you said, if you want to share it with people in your family, they each need their own white seals as well. What do you do when you've got a kid who's 12 years old, and he turns 13, and his face shape has changed, and he's gotten a little bit bigger? I mean, for adults, your face isn't going to change a lot. But for children, as they grow, it's a a big difference. I don't know how much they cost. I don't think they're very expensive. I think they're $30 or something if you want to buy additional ones. But still, that seems like, for all the magic of the Vision Pro, that seems like you're seeing behind the curtain there about the difficulty of getting this to fit on people's faces. I'm just thinking of, I'm not a skier. I've been skiing a few times in my life, and I've hurt myself skiing, so I don't do it anymore. But ski goggles have that soft foam that fits on any face, and it's not trying to be some fancy Johnny Ive-designed light seal. It's just soft foam, and maybe Apple needs a different type of foam that's more adaptable to different faces. Okay, so I need to talk about what I
2: actually did find impressive, because... Most of the demo was not really that impressive to me. Again, I kind of already had a pretty good idea of what to expect going into it. So the thing that I really wanted to see is, okay, so I I, I know a lot of this stuff, but I wanna see like, is there anything that actually feels magical and is different from what you see in all these product demonstrations that are filmed and available online, right? The one thing that I have to say that Apple has done far better than meta has done at this point is immersive experiences. Now I kind of briefly mentioned that there are like landscape type things that so if you want to be in, I think Yosemite is one of them, there's a beach, there's like kind of an open plain in the middle of a, a forest at night or something like that. And these kind of experiences are really interesting. And of course you can put up your, you know, work environment in them if you want. You can put up apps in these environments. But if you just want something for meditation, that could be a really nice experience to to just, you know, sit there and enjoy and listen to sound effects and watch water ripple in front of you and things like that. That's a kind of cool experience. But the really amazing one Better than anything else, and and I wish that they had spent a little more time on this in the demo, is they give you 30-second clips of videos that are available to download if you have Vision Pro that are fully immersive experiences where you can look left. You can look right up and down, and it feels like you're actually there. And they gave one of these 30 second clips is Alicia Keys doing like a practice session where she's singing into a microphone. She's a few feet in front of you and she's got her drink sitting on top of a piano next to you. And it really feels like you're there in the room with her. There's another one where, a rhinoceros, a baby rhinoceros, walks right up to you and stops right in front of you, and it feels like you can reach right out and touch its horn. It it feels like it's right there. You're looking down at it, and it and it doesn't interrupt to the experience. Like you're actually looking down, you're turning your head down to look at it, and it's right there in front of you. Those kind of experiences are something that you can't get anywhere else. And that's what Apple really needs to be developing lots of content in that area and really selling the Apple Vision Pro as a device designed for those kind of experiences because it blew my mind. Like this was way better than anything
1: I had expected. So I see a market for virtual cat videos for the Vision Pro. (laughs) I I can imagine a lot of different things that people might want to experience in this way. Well, games to start with. We we won't we won't talk about the p word, which is certainly going to start appearing on the Vision Pro. But games. There are a lot of games that could work like that, where you're actually going to interact with things with your hands. But the problem is with games, you're generally supposed to be moving. And if you're walking forward, you hit a wall. And I know that's a problem already with the, the existing game goggles like that. But that does sound interesting. And, and what you're saying there is something I haven't heard much from reviewers talking about these you know, really immersive videos. And it does sound like this could be a new form of cinema that filmmakers – Working with this could make something really interesting, but you wouldn't get someone to spend thirty five hundred dollars, plus two hundred dollars for a case, plus five hundred dollars for Apple Care, just to watch a few movies. Exactly, it's a, it's a bit of a hard sell at this point. It's 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 too expensive
2: for the vast majority of people, myself included. I, I don't feel like I could justify spending that kind of money on this kind of device, as much as it's it's kind of a cool experience.
1: No, it's it's too expensive right now. Okay, that's enough for this week. Until next week, Josh, stay secure.
0: All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review.